Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only, Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Brute Force. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Software Radio. Special Operations Military News and straight talk with the guys in the community. everyone welcome back to softrepradio.com i'm your host today steve valstrieri joining me we're very pleased to have c freeman vice president of the board of directors of the national desert storm war memorial association c and i are going to be talking about there's a big push on getting a desert storm memorial built in the washington dc area we're going to get into all that but we're also going to talk to c about his own personal history, I guess you could say. He served in the 82nd Airborne as a member of, I believe it was 82nd Signal Battalion in Desert Storm. He also served in Company G 143rd Infantry, which is a long-range surveillance unit of the Texas Army National Guard as an 11 Bravo Infantryman. So we have a lot to talk about. Before we go any further, let's welcome C to the podcast. C, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing good, sir. Let's talk a little bit about you. I know you live in Texas. Are you a Texas native? I am. I was born and raised in Dallas and in 1980 moved to Houston. And I've been here now going on 30 years. I'm sorry, 40. I'm, I'm turning 50 in May. So <laughs> 40 years. Oh, I've you're, been still, you're still a young guy. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> So you grew up in, in Texas. You joined the Army what year? 1989. Okay. And then you went right to uh, Airborne School, I take it, from there? 
Yes, sir. A, a basic training, AIT at Fort Gordon, and then a, and then right into Airborne School. And you were a 31 Charlie, I, I'm reading here, a single channel radio teletype operator. So you went right to the 82nd Signal Battalion. Now, did you operate in the battalion or were you farmed out to one of the line units? I actually operated in the battalion itself. I was at, I was in the general GP platoon, general purpose platoon. And then uh, when Desert Shield kicked off, I got transferred over to third fast. Uh, but mm-hmm. it was in the battalion. Bravo Company, actually. So, yeah. So let's talk about that time because a, a lot of our listeners, some of them weren't even alive back then. And, you know, because we're dating ourselves. Uh, I was in the military at that time as well. And, you know, the summer of 89, the 82nd was being sent, you know, first over to Kuwait. And that was the whole Desert Shield thing. And, you know, uh, at that time, uh, there was a lot of talk that the 82nd was nothing more than a speed bump for the uh, Iraqi army. So let's talk about that. What was it like at that time as a member of the 82nd, you know, heading over to the desert? That was actually my second field exercise, if you can believe that. I was training in J- at Fort Chaffee, Arkansas at, at um, JRTC when Desert Shield kicked off. And so we were pulled out of the field, that field exercise, and, you know, platoon sergeant brought us all together and let us know what we're about to embark on. And things changed quite drastically from that point (laughs) on. So I was like, wow, these guys are really fired up. I finally realized what, you know, what we had signed up for. And so up to that point, I'm literally, I was at the division for only June to July, just just a month and a half before Desert Shield kicked off. They had just recently got back from Panama, jumping into Panama. So, you know, they were, you know, fired up about that. But then this happened and um, I was like, oh boy, here we go. So I was just a private. I wasn't even a private first class. So I was E2, new to the army, new to the division, new to everything. It was quite the eye-opening experience. But it's what I signed up for. And so it, we went back to Fort Bragg and started uh, getting everyone to in de- deployment mode. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because in 1990 uh, was when, you know, we were all finishing. I was stationed in Panama. So 82nd was down there for, you know, the whole uh, operation just we used to call it just because, just cause. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the whole Noriega mess and you know, as a member of the Seven Special Forces Group, we were assigned there. We were still cleaning up all that mess from Panama when all this kicked off, and we were we were watching you guys on the news deploy out of Fayetteville in Fort Bragg, Pope Air Force Base, and heading over there. So you were brand new to the unit. You'd only been there a very short time. Yes, sir. I was the cherry. I was the newbie, <laughs> and um, <laughs> and I even. You know, like I said, I started out at GP platoon and then third fast needed a 31 Charlie, a rat rig operator. So I got transferred over to their platoon. So I really was the newbie then. <laughs> that always <laughs> makes it difficult. And especially being a private. I mean, it's if you're an NCO, but if you're a private, I would imagine all the bad details went your way. <laughs> they did. Yes, I had the night duties I had. You know, I was instructed I was going to be the one to take off my gas mask if if we didn't have any alarms out there. So <laughs> under the tree. So that's what I had in my mind. I'm going to end up sitting underneath a tree, and they're not going to take my mask off. They're going to, have to shoot me. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I was that guy. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. So uh, let's talk about that. I mean, you guys were there obviously for many months before everything finally kicked off. Can you talk a little bit about that time, what it was like in the 82nd? Starting out, I mean, you know, the, a lot of the listeners know the history of the 82nd, but very high standards in soldiering. And so the one distinct thing that I always bring up to everybody over there when we got there, everybody else had boonie caps except for the 82nd. The 82nd wore their Kevlars. So I, I, I like to tell everybody it started out. As like any good soldiers, we were griping about having to wear our K-Pod, you know, the whole time. So that's what started out in country, you know, getting in there and the heat just hitting you and getting acclimated was you know, a chore. I deployed with my lieutenant 
And um, he was gung ho and wanted to get everybody acclimated. So that's what we did when we first got there. So it was um, eye opening experience. I've never been anywhere outside of the country like that. Oh, actually, that was my first time out of the country. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. And to go to the Middle East, that's pretty <laughs> different than what we're used to here in the United States. <laughs> yeah, a little different. So <laughs> everything was not set up. So it just was different. So, but anyways, yes, sir. It, it was quite the experience to begin and, and think, okay, I signed up here for this, for college money, right? <laughs> so here we were. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then of course, Desert Storm kicks off. You know, our guys, including the coalition guys who were with us, I mean, they kicked some serious butt over there and went through the Iraqis pretty fast. Can you talk a little bit about what you were doing at that time? I was blessed by being on a, a base called Champion, Maine. That's where the 82nd was. Um, that was their base. And mm-hmm. so starting out from, I guess, August 23rd, when I got there, we moved to that base. We would go out, you know, days at a time, weeks at a time and go train and get prepared for this. And then we would come back, get ready, you know, get cleaned up and um, get ready for the next exercise to go out. So we'd been on that base for a long time. Uh, you Considering August to January 16th, we were there. So uh, we, we had perimeter set up around a Ramco oil fields if you're, or the Ramco compound, I would call it. But that was a part of our mission is what I understood as a private. So as a private, I understood we were guarding a Ramco. So the infantry was out in the field guarding them and we would, you know, provide comms for them. So we would go out and train and train and train and train. So everybody had heard rumors. Okay, we're going home now. We're going home. This, this is not our you know, mission. This is, we got over here. We stopped the halts, you know, speed bumps, all that. Uh, I've heard that a lot, but uh, we were so brainwashed that we were like, I don't know what they're talking about. We can take them on. <laughs> you know, that's the way that was our mentality. It's like, we got some laws. We got M60s. We got grenades. We're good. You know, tow missiles. I mean, all that. So that was what was going through our head. So we were there training a whole lot. So come January the 17th, we were ready. We were, we were trained up. Everybody was itching to go apprehensive yes because of the you know you heard all the casualty reports that were supposed to happen they were even telling us we were going to be you know killed so we were prepared we signed our wills we did our last videos to our families as a 20 year old that's pretty tough i just remember that okay who's my money going to go to you know and that's the (laughs) truth and so you know mom and mom and dad got half and sister got half and um, that's the way no, my fiance did. I was supposed to get married in December during that time. So I spent my first wedding night there is how I always portray it. But long story <laughs> short, she was getting half. I forgot. My sister was not. But, um, oh. but anyway, so I'm just telling you, we were, we were trained up, ready to go. We knew what our mission was, and we were ready. And that's how I believe everybody felt. Everybody was ready to get it on. Oh, that's that's very good. So how long did you stay in for your enlistment? Because uh, I know you went to college afterwards. Did uh, you just do the one hitch? Yes, sir. And I actually was a three-year man, which was odd. I mean, most people are four years. But when I was at the, you know, at going and signing up, my, my stepdad went with me. And being a young kid, I was wanting to just get some college money and, and go. So it was laid out by the recruiter that, okay, for a two-year enlistment, you get this much, three-year, you get this much, four-year, you get this much. and But on the two-year enlistment, the training was not counted for on your enlistment. So you would go two and a half years with your training, six months of training, and only get paid for two years. So my stepdad was smart enough to say, hey, you, you might want to sign up for six more months and get you know, whatever it was back then, 10,000 more for college. I'm like, well, that's pretty bright. So as a kid, I would have signed up for the two year and um, missed out on six more months of, of a college fund. But yes, so I was a three year guy. So when I got out, we got back April 1st, 1991, went home, got married in June the 8th, which was kind of funny when I started working with the Desert Storm Memorial 
they kept saying June 8th was, oh, they just kept saying, were you part of the, the, the national victory parade in Washington, D.C.? And I said, I don't remember that at all. I mean, 82nd was always asking to march here, there, whatever. So, uh, you know, I just didn't remember it. So I Googled it, researched it. Well, it was my wedding day. So I got married June 8th, 1991, and that's when the national parade was in D.C., which I had no clue of because I was getting married. So kind of cool story. But anyways, I got out. Um, my wife came and joined me uh, for about eight months there. You know, we did our stint. I got out. I came back home, went back to work for UPS and started my uh, junior college career, I guess. Took me about two and a half, three years, got that done. And then I transferred to a college called Letourneau, got my other two years out of the way and got my Bachelor of Science degree. So I had my wife pushing me to get it done. And and in order to get the the military pay, you had to take 12 hours, 12 semester hours of um, college. So that that helped, you know, get my Army College Fund and the GI Bill just by staying in school. So she held me to it and got me through it. So, yes, sir. Graduated in 1998. So it took me a little while. Yeah, well, it it took it took all of us a long time to go through college. I mean, I I took classes the whole time I was in the military. I probably, you know, if you look at my transcripts, the, you're, you're like, this guy went to college everywhere because whatever college was offering courses on the base, you uh-huh. know, be it Fort Bragg or you know down in Panama, I'd I'd take a, a course whenever I the opportunity availed itself, which wasn't often, but. You had to do what you had to do. But yeah, during that time, you served with the uh, Texas National Guard. And uh, was that that was a long range surveillance unit, right? It was. Yes, sir. And funny story is, is, you know, I got out and I was in the inactive reserves. I had a I had my son and, you know, times were, you know, it was tight back then. I was a full time college student, worked for UPS part time. And I said, hmm, this, you know, I, I. I'd been ingrained to be airborne and nothing else but airborne. So I I was not going to go join a regular, you know, uh, National Guard or reserve unit. But uh, luckily, I found out about, you know, Company G 143rd Infantry uh, Infantry unit, and it was a LURST unit. So I went down there and they were jump qualified. So they jumped. So went down there, told them my MOS. There was a 31 Charlie slot available. And so I had to do a PT test. I still could run back then and do, you know, I, I, but anyways, had to prove to him that I was still in shape. So I joined him. I kept saying, Hey, I want to go to PLDC, you know, PLDC. That was my big deal, you know, to get promoted to Sergeant. So I was a specialist then. And long story short, I, I they put me in a Lem Bravo slot. T- come time to, to go. They said, well, you're not MOS qualified. So I said, well, what does that mean? He said, well, you're a 31 Charlie and 11 Bravo slot, you know, you can't go to appeal to see without that. So that's well, what do I need to do? He said, well, you, you want to go to infantry school? I'm said, yeah, I'll do it. So long story short, I went and got my 11 Bravo identifier. So I became infantry. So that was the, the national guard tour. And then come time for PLDC school, we, we had a mission come up that we were going to Australia. And so all funds were going towards, you know, it's called operation tandem thrust. We were going to go to, Sholay Bay and do some training with the Aussies. And so school went away and I jumped into Australia, got my Australian jump wings, which was pretty cool. Did that and then got out. So I, I only did my two and a half years or two years roughly in the um, National Guard, but it was a high speed unit, gung ho guys. I mean, great group, group of guys. And I, I believe now they, they're under the 173rd, if you can believe that, out of uh, Italy, I believe. Wow. Nice. Yeah, that would have been nice. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. But All anyway. right. Well, now you own your own construction firm. That is correct. My brother-in-law and myself are co-owners of a company called Mako Construction. We're design build down here in Houston, Texas. Our niche market is church construction. So I always tell everybody I build the Lord's house all over the state of Texas. And, um, nice. <laughs> yeah. So, but anyway, so yes, sir. That's what I do now. Yeah. You know, it was funny when, uh, when I was stationed down South, there was, I, I wanted to buy it. Um, there was this old stone 
church, tiny, like a tiny stone church. And uh, it was for sale. I guess, they, you know, something, whatever came up and they decided they were going to close it down. But, oh, my God, whenever I think of church construction, I was like, because I, I, I actually saw her inside of that. It was mm-hmm. all stone. It was absolutely beautiful. And then I saw it later on. The guy who ended up buying it, he was pretty wealthy. So he was able to keep a lot of that construction the same with all those stained glass windows in there. And he made it into a beautiful place. But, well, hats off to you. you doing what we call, I guess, the Lord's work. So, yeah. Yes, sir. But- <laughs> BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only, Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. But let's switch it over to the other uh, thing that you're up to, and that is the uh, National Desert Storm War Memorial. How did you get involved with this? I got involved with it. Uh, one of my one of my friends, and I, I wasn't great friends with him, but I was good friends with his brother. His name is Stephen Wee. Steve Wee wrote a book called G-Day, Rendezvous with the Eagles. And it was a chronological book on Desert Storm and his Desert Shield, Desert Storm, I guess, his journey. And he was an older guy at that time. It was his second go around to get into the into the Army. And so he was very detailed. He was a forward observer. So he took very good notes. And so he wrote this book. And um, one day I was given the book on Sunday and I read the whole book the whole day. I never put it down. It was a great book. So... I started following him on Facebook and one day popped up National Desert Storm War Memorial Association first annual golf tournament to build the National Desert Storm and Desert Shield Memorial. And I'm like, oh, and it was in Austin. So I called Steve and asked him if I could help. I wanted to, you know, bring some money down from Houston, uh, raise money for it. And I didn't want to golf. I just wanted to work because I've Helped a few golf tournaments like at church, you know, our our churches I've, have been involved with. We do golf tournaments and things like that to raise money. So I know how much work it is. I just I just want to work. So that's how I, I got involved with it is I went down there on a Thursday and helped Steve. I was like his right-hand man and anything he needed done, I tried to do it and got to meet the board of directors at that time. 
I believe three of them came down for the for the golf tournament. And that's where I met Scott Stump, the president of the mm-hmm. board. Bill Kerrigan was there, I believe, and another gentleman was there that's no longer with us. But long story short, we held the golf tournament. I worked my tail off. They saw the work ethic. I told them what I did for a living. My brother-in-law and myself wanted to do a promotional video for him to help it when that time came and just told him we would donate it to the memorial at that time. So I guess the way Scott describes it is they took note of what I did and my work ethic, and they called me about, I would say, two, maybe a, two or three days or maybe a week. I don't remember. It's all a blur now. But he asked me if I would uh, join and be part of the design team. So there was a, a spot available, and I jumped right on it. So that's how the journey started, is just by volunteering at the, at the uh, golf tournament. So let's talk about the, you know, the War Memorial project that you guys are involved in. So, you know, explain to our, uh, our listeners what it's all about, uh, what you guys are planning to do, and what you hope to accomplish, and, and, you know, how far along you are up to this point. Okay, sure. Um, back in 2010, Scott Stump, uh, he's a Marine out of uh, North Carolina, had this idea of commemorating uh, Desert Storm and Desert Shield in our nation's capital, which we didn't have a presence in. He just said it's time to do something like this. I mean, the Desert Shield and Desert Storm veterans that we know, I mean, during some ceremonies, there's times where it's, you know, just not thought of or not brought up. So, you know, he didn't want this to go away, the victory that was there to go away in history. And that's what he felt like it would do if if we didn't, if he didn't do something something like this. So he started the process throughout the years. Back in 2012, met up with an architect firm up in Indiana, which is called CSO Architects. They're more of a partner than, than a consultant with us because mm-hmm. they jumped right on it. Um, you know, we didn't have any, Scott didn't have any money back then, needed the Memorial Association. So they worked for us for years for, for pro bono. So they partnered up with, they saw that this was worthy of it, partnered up with us and really got us along on the design and, and through this process. It's a, it's a really long process to do. And Scott always mentions, you know, why is there the commemorative works act is because to keep people from building memorials in DC. So we've been navigating through it for quite some time. And um, on, I guess, 2013, Congressman Phil Rowe, great congressman that helped us out. He wrote our, I guess you would call it the, the he introduced the HR 5914, which it states the National Desert Storm and Desert Shield War Memorial Act, which states that the National Desert Storm War Memorial Association may establish the National Desert Storm and Desert Shield Memorial as a commemorative work on federal land in the District of Columbia to commemorate and honor those who, as a member of the armed forces, served on active duty in support of Operation Desert Storm or Operation Desert Shield. So that's the law that enabled us to move forward with the Desert Storm and Desert Shield Memorial. Do you already have a piece of land set aside for this? Yep. So in 2013, we got the law passed and that enabled us to start the process. So it's a 23 step process. First process is to get the site selection. So we hired some uh, consultant out of DC, AECOM, and they've been a great partner of ours too. And they navigated us through this process along with our design team. And um, so we took about 100 sites that were available in the District Columbia area and in the surrounding areas that are designated for future memorial sites. We narrowed it down to 30, narrowed it down to 15, 10, all the way down to two. And those sites, one was really close to Arlington National Cemetery and the Lady Bird Johnson, I call it the forest, but it's a, it's a memorial site. And then we, the, the preferred site that we wanted was at 23rd Avenue and Constitution, which is at the corner. If you're facing the Lincoln Memorial, it's directly to the right of it, about 450 meters from the Lincoln Memorial. It's directly across the street from one lot in between of the of the Vietnam Memorial. So we felt 
that was the spot we wanted to go after. Long story short, after about three and a half years, we got that site. I could bore you with all the details about how many <laughs> meetings we've had with, with so many different commissions. And but it's yeah. it, you know it's a very hallowed ground. Any of that ground is very hallowed, especially that piece of property. So absolutely, that I, I know not, the area that you're talking because uh, for a very short time I was up with the uh, old guard up in Washington that does all the ceremonies and. Uh, that area around the Lincoln, that's a beautiful site, too. That will be a tremendous spot for it once the actual, I guess, construction begins, right? That's correct. Yes, sir. Do you guys have a plan yet of what you want to construct there? Yes, sir. We, we have already gone through. And so the next step is the design approval process. Mm-hmm. So we've been doing that since 2018 and, and really before that. I mean, we started, you had to show them at least what we were thinking to go there. So long story short, uh, yeah, we do. It's, we like to call it, it's not over the top, you know, because of the site where we're at. We can't have something that's over the top. We have to be very respectful to the Lincoln Memorial and to all the other surrounding areas in that spot. So it is a very, I don't know how to describe it other than it's um, profound simplicity is what we like to term it as but it is on our website you can see some of the design we we unveiled the what we are trying to push for the not the final design but the conceptual design approval process we had to show this and this is what it looks like it's you know commemorate desert shield veterans desert storm veterans the fallen of course the remembrance Mm -hmm. wall and the coalition, you know, Desert Storm was very, very instrumental in that we had over 35 countries come together to um, complete the mission. So the coalition is going to be recognized at the memorial, too. So those four elements are what we are wanting to represent and to portray and show what happened in Desert Shield, Desert Storm, to tell the story and to commemorate all of those aspects. Okay, and then now, you know, when you're talking about this, the coalition, I mean, you you think back to that time, and uh, General Schwarzkopf, who was the, you know, overall commander there, what a job he had of trying to hold that, because, you know, we kind of work in coalitions a lot these days. A lot of our military operations now work in coalitions, and when you go back to that time frame, the job General Schwarzkopf did trying to hold all that together. And that was kind of uncharted territory at that time. Yes, sir. It's the first time where the UN actually worked is what we always portray. And, <laughs> it, it, was from, and it was from the top down from, you know, President Herbert Walker Bush, you know, 41, all the way down to, you know, General Schwarzkopf. And I mean, the diplomacy was huge. It was unheard of. Just the, the, the master, I guess, the, how they conducted that was unprecedented. So, yeah, and it, you know, you had, well, you you know the dynamics of it, so. I'm assuming that the design, once you have it uh, finalized, will take into consideration all the, the countries that were involved in the coalition. They'll all be recognized as well. That is correct, yes, sir. There, there's a center element that actually has every one of the countries name and there but the at least is what we're wanting to present so it's not nothing is final final yet but um right you know the the, the centerpiece is the coalition piece and um it'll have every country's name on it in their language and in ours so they can go up anybody from that country who's you know visiting dc which there's over close to eight nine million that that visit the lincoln memorial every year all across the world. So they can actually go to their spot, touch it, feel it, take pictures with it, know that their country had a piece in history that we haven't seen that kind of uh, mission, I guess, victory since, if you ask me. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's pretty awesome. Uh, you know, when you think back of that, I mean, you know, it's funny because like I said, we, we, uh, we're used to seeing our guys now operating coalitions. So that was, that was really the first time, as you said, everything worked, you know, uh, <laughs> and it, it's great to see that, you know, you guys are going forward with this. Now, do you you have an organization, obviously, that's putting this together? It's not just a certain group of guys. This is 
open to the public where, you know, they can donate to the uh, to the cause, so to speak? Uh, yes, sir. And, and if I could back up a little bit, just part of the coalition, sure. we as a board like to always talk about the pivot. There is the pivot moment in the memorial also. And that pivot is from the Vietnam syndrome coming from the Vietnam War and then going into this and the, the great victory that we had. And we attribute that to all of our senior leaders were Vietnam veterans from Colin Powell, all the General Powell, all the way down. I mean, division commanders. So you, every one of them were Vietnam veterans. And they said, not on this watch. And that is the way the government handled it. And so we attribute Desert Storm, the victory in Desert Storm and Desert Shield to the pivot of the country coming together, actually recognizing our veterans the way they're treated today. Vietnam veterans were not treated that way when they came back from Vietnam. And so that is that's part of this huge history of why we are at why we are where we're at, because we have that kins that kinsmanship with the Vietnam veterans. Veterans from Desert Shield, Desert Storm on have, I, I say, benefited from the country treating them the way they are from the victory in Desert Storm. Yeah, you mentioned that because when the guys came home from Vietnam, they obviously had a uh, a very different experience than those who came back from Desert Storm. We were all witness to that. I think the country as a whole recognized that the Vietnam veterans, I mean, we understood that it was a very unpopular war, but unfortunately, a lot of our citizens took it out upon the guys who represented our country and soldiers, sailors, Marines, airmen, you know, uh, whoever went over there. And I think that that set in motion kind of what we see today. Because again, you look at, you know, how those guys were treated when they returned from Vietnam. And a lot of them were draftees who honestly probably didn't want to go there either. But, and, you know, the country called them to go and they did. And uh, it, it's and I like the fact that where you guys are going to be located is almost like catty corner to between the Vietnam Veterans Memorial and the Lincoln Memorial. I think that's very important because that's when everything, I think, changed. Wouldn't you agree with that? Yes, sir, it did. And, and we call that change the pivot. So, and that'll be represented in, uh, in, the, in the memorial. Is this going to be built with public funds or is this going to be strictly donations? Strictly donations. We could, I think we could have asked for that, you know, for help, but we wanted to just keep it separate and keep it to where we can design it and try to get what we feel like should be there and not what somebody else wanted, I guess you could say. So yes, sir. It's all it's all individual donations. VSOs have donated greatly. You know, individuals, companies, corporations. That is where we're gonna. That's how in in foreign countries, and that's how we're gonna build it. Yes, sir. So you know, and uh, from what I read about this when we spoke earlier, the estimated cost is going to be in the neighborhood of about forty million dollars. Is that correct? If that was our budget back then that, you know, that includes getting to the point of construction also. So it's, you know, the, the actual physical site's not going to be 40 million total, but from start to finish, it's about a $40 million project. So yes, sir, that, that is our budget. And, you know, we're striving to get there. Yeah. And how much has the organization raised up to this point? Up to this point, we raised close to 9 million, which that, constitutes about 5.85 million for the land value that we put that figure to that land and then about 3.15 million in donations so still got a long ways to go <laughs> right but uh, you do have a website where you know anyone can obviously click on there and donate please tell everyone about that yes sir um, so the National Desert Storm War Memorial Association is comprised of eight volunteer individuals who have started this process and been with it since the inception pretty much on and off. But we do have a website where you can go to it's www.ndswm.org. So that stands for National Desert Storm War Memorial.org. So that's where they can go to it. Um, we sell a lot of merchandise. That's been very helpful. We have an Air Force 
Jill Eder, she she was a veteran of the Air Force. She was a Desert Storm era veteran, but she is a just unbelievable with her and her daughters. They do so much for us, but they they run our memorial store that is helping to raise money too. I, I failed to mention that. So, no, that's awesome. And uh, in fact, uh, the merchandise that you guys are are also selling to to help raise the cost associated with building this memorial is outstanding. I I invite all of our listeners to definitely check this out. And if you're looking for a, a nice gift for a family member or a significant other, especially one that maybe served during Desert Storm. I mean, I want to say there was probably upwards of over half a million soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines involved in that. I, I could be underestimating that. Am I right? It, there was over, you know, over 700,000 that participated. 700,000. The yeah. There's a lot of veterans who served during Desert Storm and, and with our forces over there. And again, if you're if you're looking for a gift for, like I said, a family member or significant other, this is for a great cause. And we definitely encourage all of our listeners to do that. So what's the next step for you guys in the uh, memorial? The next step is to, to get the final design approve, you know, approval. After we get that approval, then we can go into construction documents, which are the plans. We do the plans, then we go into permitting, and then breaking ground. The The law states we cannot break ground until we raise 110% of the funds to build it. So we have to prove to them that we have pledges and, and the money's in the bank to cover the construction costs before we can break ground. So that's, a, that's the next hurdle. If any of our listeners want to get involved, I mean, you told them where they can donate. What what if they want to get involved with any of this? Can you talk us a little bit through that? Yes, sir. I I believe on our website we have a, you know, a sign up for our newsletter. And also we have a information email set up to where if you want to volunteer, you know, you can go to that website describe what you do and and how you can help. And there's eight individuals who are on this, but we have a slew of, you know, hundreds of volunteers all across the the United States that are helping and in other countries. But it, it, it takes an army, air force, you know, Navy, Marines and Coast Guard to get this done. So, um, you know, we, we always open to anybody that wants to help. You know, at this point, I always say somebody knows somebody. So the more people that say, hey, I know this guy that works for Anheuser-Busch. I know this guy that works over here. That is what we need is, you know, help with getting some corporate sponsors. You know, the introductions is what's hard. If you don't know somebody, you're not going to get there. So I always say somebody knows somebody and, you know, put the word out. Everybody I ask I come in contact. I said, you ever heard about, it? no, I hadn't heard about you. Well, we're trying our best to get it out there. So just, you know, you tell a friend, you tell a friend and it should just, you know, get the word out. And it's something that the desert shield desert storm veterans should be very proud of. And the, and the gold star families, of course, that's, you know, that's huge for us to, to, to honor their fallen and talking with them. It just humbles you and, and makes you know that what we're doing is the right thing. Now, I understood that the country of Kuwait is pledging some money to this. Is this correct? This is correct. In December, we announced they pledged $10 million, but their pledge is for construction costs only. We, we could surely use some funds to get us through the uh, through the, the, you know, the Yes. And so, you know, I tell everybody we need about $1.6 million to get us to the finish line of when we can start applying for permits. You know, that's frustrating on our part, but, you know, we know we have this $10 million out there, but yet we've got to get to that from point A to B before we can actually get the, the, the donation. So we have not, we do not have $10 million in the bank. So that's the hard part is, okay, how can we get that next, you know, that 1.6 to get us through the finish line? So instead of asking for $30 million or 20 really we need to balance with their $10 million, 20 million balance is what we're looking at. But I like to say we need 1.6 million to get us to the finish line. That's, uh, that's you know. doable. That's definitely doable. Now, 
Yes, sir. Um, you know, with uh, the former, the first President Bush, obviously, you know, this was uh, more in line with him. But uh, have you contacted the second President Bush about getting behind this? You know, I reached out to both of them at the same time, and um, both President Bush 41 and 43 responded back to me. I, I sent them both challenge coins. 41's passing. That was really right. hard. You know, that was just it touched everybody around the United States and the world. I mean, he was very, re, you know, reverenced around the world. But as far as 40, I, I personally haven't reached out to him except for that. But I would love to have his help. <laughs> you know, yeah. I daydream of, OK, he can watercolor, you know, the final design and auction it off for one point six million. You know, I mean, yeah. he can make that happen. I believe that's how I feel. But no, sir, I have not gotten in touch with him. Uh, I would well, love to. It would kind of be nice. Uh, I mean, that was more of his father's legacy than his. But, you know, it would be kind of nice to see him get involved. And, you know, uh, I think if if he was to make a, a plea, I think people would answer that pretty, pretty quickly. And I think that, you know, you guys are kind of in the ballpark as it is right now. I mean, you're you're about a quarter of the way of the total amount of money that you need and Kuwait pledging some 10 million for construction costs. You're kind of getting in that halfway point. So, you know, we're obviously we want to wish you all the best with that. I think this is a great organization to get behind. And, uh, you know, uh, when it comes to military stuff, I, you know, one of the things I think uh, about the United States is we're not as big on building monuments as some of our allies are in other parts of the world. I mean, we never had a World War II mon monument or memorial until just a few years ago. And I'm glad to see this getting uh, getting done. And, and please tell all of our listeners again where they can donate uh, and how to get involved. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for that. I really appreciate this call. And from the board of directors, we really, really appreciate you allowing us to do this and get this platform and, and, um, you can you can volunteer or donate. Go to uh, www.ndswm.org. And if you just Google National or just Desert Storm War Memorial, it comes up. We, we, we have a Facebook page, too, the National Desert Storm War Memorial Association page. You know, if they're on Facebook, they can donate through, through Facebook. That's a good way of doing it. That's really been a good good avenue for us there. But that is how you do it. Oh, that's that's awesome. See, uh, you know, for all of us here at, at softrep.com, we uh, we appreciate everything that you're doing for all of our veterans, not just the Desert Storm veterans, but speaking for all veterans, I, I think, like I said, we, we don't do enough, I feel. I always feel like we don't do enough uh, when it comes to that for our veterans. And of course, we're all biased being veterans ourselves, but I think this is a great uh, thing that you guys are doing, and we wish you all the best with that. And uh, as a fellow paratrooper, us airborne guys got to stick together. <laughs> yes, sir. Airborne all the way. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I would uh, be remiss in saying that I would love to jump one more time. I don't know if my knees would handle it so well, but uh, – <laughs> Yeah, uh, maybe a water jump. So uh, we'll, we'll put that one on the calendar. But yeah, we're definitely going to put this on the calendar for when it finally does be completed and, and it's going to be open to the public because that's a trip, I think, going to be definitely on the agenda. I, I'll do my best and keep you informed. So thank you. Yeah, please do that. And uh, once again, folks, C. Freeman here, along with Steve Balistrieri, softrepradio.com, on time, on target. And uh, if you guys can, I know it's a tough time for everyone right now with the coronavirus and a lot of people are laid off. But if you can spare a little bit of change here and there, a lot makes a big difference. Please give to this. It's a worthy cause. And uh, we look forward to seeing this built. It'll be right there uh, on the corner of 23rd and Constitution near the Lincoln Memorial and the Vietnam Veterans Memorial, and we're all looking forward to this. See, thank you once again for your time. Uh, we really appreciate it, and let's keep in touch. I will. Thank you again. All right. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio. New episodes up every Wednesday and Friday. 
Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at SoftRep Radio. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Alison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. <laughs> Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Alison. Thank you.